Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you're tuning in from around the planet, we are so grateful for you joining us today for our special webinar, Partnerships to End Human Trafficking. My name is Mark Ritchie and I have the honor of serving as president of Global Minnesota. And I wanna thank all of you for being part of our guests today, but I wanna especially thank all of our members. Your contributions each year, your memberships make it possible for us to offer webinars and educational programs in our schools, in our communities throughout this year. And especially now that we are in the virtual digital mode, we're able to offer these programs worldwide. So thank you again to our members. And if you're not a member yet, you can join. We would love to have your participation. Just check out our website. Today's program is very special. We have a quite an interesting and amazing group of people. And our moderator today is someone I've had the pleasure of working with over this last year. Kelly Gage is a senior philanthropic advisor as at the NOMI Network. And she's going to introduce our panel and introduce her work and moderate today's discussion. Thank you again, Kelly, and please take the microphone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, yes, as Mark said, I'm Kelly Gage. Um, I work for NOMI Network. NOMI Network is an anti-trafficking organization whose mission is to end human trafficking by creating pathways to safe and sustainable employment. Um, we train and develop women and girls and empowering them to break the cycles of slavery in their families and communities. We currently work in India and Cambodia and will launch a site in Dallas in 2021. Um, but my fight against human trafficking did not start with working for NOMI Network. It was actually um, has far longer history than that. I was a member of the Carlson Family Foundation Board when the family first joined the fight against human trafficking over 20 years ago. And that came with becoming founding members for the World Childhood Foundation, which, which fights child sexual exploitation around the world. And I've served on the World Childhood Foundation Board in Brazil um, since that time. And with that experience, I joined, was asked to join the NOMI Network Board in 2015. Um, I was actually recruited from the board to join the NOMI Network team um, in 2019. And I left a tenured professor position at St. Kate's to join the fight against human trafficking full time. So I feel like in speaking to the audience, um, just know that no matter what uh, vein or track of work you are in right now, you too can join the fight against human trafficking. And so I'd like to start with just thanking all of you, our audience members and our, our esteemed speakers today for really joining in this really incredibly important discussion hosted by Global Minnesota. Human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry that has footholds in every country in the world and happens far closer to home than most people realize or really want to acknowledge. It is an incredibly complicated issue that involves human rights, culture, um, gender, education, politics. I mean, you, it is so complicated that there isn't one tactic or one agency that will solve this tragedy of human behavior, which is why collaboration and integration of programs and approaches is so critical and really what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm very excited to moderate the conversation today with Imran Ali, Assistant Criminal Division Chief for Washington County. Agnes Decole, Head of Anti-Trafficking Department, Hungarian Baptist Aid. Paul Krocius, Detective, Woodbury Police Department. And Amy Schroeder, Crime Analyst, Washington County. Welcome to each of you. And again, thank you for being here today. So just to give you a brief um, outline of how the program is going to run today, uh, we'll start off with each of the panelists taking a few minutes, about five minutes each, to briefly describe their work and then we will move on to a Q&A session. And you 
all of the audience are a part of this discussion and should should really jump forward and share their questions that you have as we move, move through this conversation. So please share your questions via the email address questions at globalminnesota.com. So questions at global and spelling out minnesota.com. And we will pose as many questions as possible to our panelists. So I'm going to turn it over to our first speaker and I would like to invite Imran to, um, to turn on his video. And again, just reminding everyone to mute themselves or their videos when they, are, when they are not speaking. So welcome Imran, thank you for being here today. Good afternoon, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be on uh, this panel. Uh, this is a very different time that we're in. We present uh, our group uh, in Washington County, the East Metro. Uh, we do lots of presentations every single year for the last five years. Uh, and it's been really difficult for us really to get our message out during this pandemic. And so we've had to resort to talking to a computer uh, and a microphone. But for all the participants, uh, thank you for logging in. It's something that all of us uh, are very passionate about the work we do. Uh, in 2015, uh, I was already uh, working in Washington County in, a, in adult felonies. And uh, our elected county attorney wanted uh, to create a unit to focus on certain sorts of crimes uh, that may, uh, uh, larger crimes, but where a prosecutor uh, could work in a multidisciplinary setting with law enforcement, uh, help and aid in the investigation and eventual prosecution. Uh, one of the areas he wanted me to focus on was human trafficking. Uh, I knew a little bit about it, uh, read about it, never prosecuted a case uh, of human trafficking before that time. And so the first thing I did was I logged in on a website and found a website uh, called backpage.com. And I started going through it and uh, I was amazed that there were so many ads that were posted and it was that easy uh, for somebody uh, to peruse through it, uh, to communicate and to set up uh, what we call uh, prostitution or commercial sex. Uh, within my first few hours of going on the website, I found uh, a person that I believe to be underage. Uh, I did a little bit of research uh, and found out that she indeed was a sophomore in our local high school uh, and uh, was posted on there. Uh, and we ended up doing a, an operation with law enforcement. Uh, we uh, recovered her, uh, arrested an individual. Uh, and ever since then, back in 2015, that's really been my predominant uh, focus has been on uh, human trafficking. I really haven't looked back. Uh, and um, what we've done in Washington County is uh, we try to do, like I talked about, a multidisciplinary approach to the investigation and prosecution of human trafficking. And what that means is normally when you have law enforcement, uh, they react uh, to crime. Uh, they're not proactively out there looking for criminals. Somebody would call 911, they would respond, they would investigate, and then that would be referred to the prosecution. What we wanted to do is we understand that human trafficking, um, uh, the, the amount of uh, victim manipulation uh, and uh, all the different intricate details that go with it, we knew that these victims out there were not gonna be calling asking for help and we would have to do it. Uh, and so we assembled a team. We have Amy Schroeder, you'll hear from her in a little bit and she'll tell you about what she does. She's our criminal analyst. Uh, and then we have uh, partners that we've created along the way. We uh, not only have the Washington County Attorney's Office and myself dedicated as a full-time human trafficking prosecutor, one of the only ones in the state, uh, but we also have uh, uh, individuals from the Woodbury Police Department, from Oakdale Police Department, from the Washington County Sheriff's Office, uh, and from um, the Department of Homeland Security, a senior special agent. Uh, we all work together every day. And what we found is that when we work together, uh, the common denominator that is met is that we're able to actually infiltrate the marketplace. Uh, we're able to provide aid and recovery to victims, and we're able to hold people accountable. Uh, on the prosecution front, I can tell you that in the past five years, um, we prosecuted uh, labor trafficking cases, uh, the first in the state. We prosecuted multiple uh, uh, large human trafficking rings in the United States. Uh, and we've also taken down uh, international uh, global human trafficking rings that have tentacles around the world right here uh, 
in Washington County. Uh, so we've had great success. We've held a lot of people uh, accountable. Uh, and then for our victims out there, we've partnered with our regional navigators, shelter providers, uh, and we're learning more uh, as uh, we go through that. We're learning that each of the victims needs some sort of specialized care, uh, whether they're from a different country or whether there's uh, you know, gender issues, whatever it may be. Uh, so we're learning more about that as well. Uh, but we work together. Uh, it's not just us in this office. We have partnerships uh, around the state and that's really the only way uh, that we can make a change uh, in human trafficking. Uh, and we're looking forward to continuing to do it uh, uh, during the pandemic, which has been busy, uh, and after the pandemic. So again, thank you for the opportunity for me to be here, uh, and I'm open to any questions at the time. Thank you. Before we move on to Agnes, um, I would like to correct, I misspoke for the email address. It is questions at globalminnesota.org, not .com, .org, O-R-G. So please submit your questions. So. Um, Agnes, I invite you to share to share about your work now. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Agnes de Kol from Hungarian Baptist State. And um, in our country, Hungarian Baptist State was the very first uh, started to work on anti-trafficking. And uh, we started our work in 2003 and uh, opened our shelter for victims of human trafficking. They were women. Uh, victims of uh, sexual uh, exploitation. And um, during this uh, time, ever since, uh, we have um, built up a global network. We have lots of partners in uh, Western Europe mainly, and, um, and also in the US. So we have a close cooperation uh, with the, the police means uh, national police, also Interpol and Europol, who we work together. We help them uh, during investigation and also we are present uh, at the police actions when they capture traffickers. And this is how uh, we go there and uh, help them to um, have the victims assistance immediately. We have shelters uh, all around in the country. These are uh, secret safe houses and uh, we assist not only women but also men who are victims of uh, domestic servitude uh, or uh, labor trafficking and uh, we do uh, rehabilitation for them uh, with um, a group of experts of course and then uh, we try to uh, help them uh, reintegrate to the society and um, we also have uh, very uh, important uh, work in lobbying um, in Hungary and in Europe. So um, our advice is, is uh, very important for the state and uh, we have uh, achieved to have uh, a lot of um, improvement in uh, uh, law and um, in legislation. So. I think um, ever since we started our work, there has been lots of uh, modification in the uh, penalties. And, um, but still Hungary have a lot to do. But I think in, uh, in Eastern Europe, we have a very good and strong work uh, against uh, trafficking. And uh, also um, we have a very um, big um, emphasizement on uh, uh, prevention. We go to juvenile correctional centers for uh, teenagers to do uh, prevention work and uh, we have uh, a lucky occasion to take uh, survivors with us and uh, they are very effective uh, with them when um, they talk to them and they talk there and they share their own stories. Then we also go to um, foster homes and schools all around in the country. And uh, also we train uh, stakeholders and, uh, and those who are uh, work with uh, trafficking victims. Uh, it could be social service providers or uh, prosecutors, judges, police, um, and so on. So uh, Hungarian Baptist State is uh, one of the leader uh, in Hungary who's uh, working a lot against uh, trafficking. And uh, we are available online as well. 
and um, and also um, we have this network which is available uh, in Hungary and uh, Europe-wide. Thank you, Agnes. Um, your work is so important and so firsthand. It's really amazing. Um, so, Paul, if you could um, tell us a little bit about your work and your involvement in the anti-trafficking work. Yeah, my name is uh, Paul Krocious. I'm a police detective with the city of Woodbury, which is, uh, if you're not, anybody that's not familiar with Woodbury, we are uh, an eastern suburb of Minneapolis-St. Paul. Population is just approaching 80,000. So we're a decent-sized suburb, but we're not a ginormous city. So we're kind of a, you know, an average-sized suburb. Um, I've been a police officer for 20 years. Uh, I've been doing detective work as an assignment since 2009, so about 11 years now. Uh, I've done the drug task force. I worked on our street crimes unit, uh, and I started doing that street crimes work in uh, 2013, which was kind of a proactive-based unit that our city has for police work. Um, and then in 2015, we, we kind of partnered, or my position kind of partnered with uh, our county attorney's office when we really started looking at trafficking. Is trafficking uh, an issue? Is it something we need to be looking at? Uh, is it going on in our city? We do have quite a few hotels in our city, but you know, it's, it's not one of those things that a lot of people think of when you think of suburbs. You know, when, when you historically think of, of uh, trafficking and commercial sex and prostitution, a lot of times you think of the larger cities, um, you know, the people with the, the tracks and the blades and uh, you know, the, the things that go on in the street. So we started looking at that. I, I kind of partnered with our county attorney's office uh, and some other law enforcement back in 15. And, uh, you know, we, we really kind of, it was a, essentially an experimental position um, you know, where, where our chief of police said, you know, this is something we should at least look at. We need to see if this is going on in our area. Um, and I was surprised. I think our agency was surprised that that it is. And, and it was actually a lot more prolific than, than we'd ever really realized before. Uh, unfortunately, human trafficking and, and sex trafficking is one of those types of crimes that if you're not looking for it, it it's very easy to go unnoticed. Uh, a lot of victims don't want to identify as a victim, so they're not going to self-report. Um, you know, so those are, are some of those dynamics that, you know, when we look at proactive policing to get out there, get into the marketplace, what is the marketplace? You know, for a long time, it was Backpage.com. Backpage got shut down. Uh, marketplace was interrupted. And then, you know, wherever there's a supply and demand that something's going to come up, we knew that it would. And, you know, now the online marketplace is back again. So, um, you know, with our first year in, we had uh, a, a pretty big case related to labor trafficking uh, of an individual who was brought here from a foreign country, kind of essentially held captive, um, you know, and, and forced into a labor situation. Uh, and then we had multiple sex trafficking cases that, that kind of you know, we, we work through uh, and we realize that this is definitely something that's going on in our community. This is something that, you know, we as a police department want to continue to address. So this has been my full-time assignment now for about five years. Uh, so it's the only cases that I, I typically work are, um, you know, the, the labor trafficking type of cases and, and sex trafficking type of cases. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting learning curve. Um, you know, and, and like I said, when, when we look at these types of crimes and, and people don't really want to you know report them to us so we're kind of in that proactive side and then when we do an operation where we uh, where we identify a victim sit down and talk with them you know face to face even in those situations a lot of times we, we don't have people that want to cooperate with us it's unusual when you think of, of being the victim of a crime if somebody assaults you somebody steals something from you somebody you know does something to harm you or, or a crime against you uh, the logic says you're going to want to tell the police and say, hey, I need help. I need, I need this person held accountable for, for what they just did to me. You know, and we found that with a lot of these sex trafficking cases, especially, people wouldn't do that. You know, they, they would not give us that level of cooperation. So you know, we have to figure out how are we going to hold somebody accountable for, for these criminal actions. And a lot of what we do is, is uh, very heavy forensic-based investigations. So you know, we'll use, um, you know, a lot of our law enforcement techniques that, you know, we were able to kind of prove a case based on, you know, maybe where cell phones are and who's communicating with who and, and what is being discussed in those communications and that type of stuff. So we can actually build our case 
based on that, as well as financial records and the movement of money, because usually you can follow the money in a lot of cases. Uh, and that tells you who's kind of in charge and who's running things. Um, so we really kind of adapted our, our investigations to take, we kind of consider taking the burden off the victim so that when we work a case and, and we do these things, we're able to try to prove it with, with very minimal burden on that victim statement. So <clears throat> it's been interesting. Um, you know, the, uh, the COVID stuff is, has had a little bit of a, uh, reaction, I guess, or, or impact into the, the demand, you know, at least at first, but you know, what we're seeing lately is, is it's coming back to, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those, those marketplace things that never is probably going to go away. So we're just going to keep doing everything we can, uh, to impact it, uh, to hold these bad people accountable and, uh, you know, do whatever we can do. Wow, thank you, Paul. It's it's always interesting. Well, not inter interesting isn't the right word. Maybe I'm using that in the Minnesota sense of using the word interesting. <laughs> it's you know hearing about like Backpage and all of these things that have been going on forever, and and the shift that we've seen in all of this. It just is bringing all sorts of questions into my mind. So I hope everybody in the audience is having questions come to their mind too, and they're and they're shooting them to the email address. So thank you, thank you for your introduction. And Amy, I invite you to, to tell us a little bit about your work, please. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Amy Schroeder. I'm the criminal analyst um, with the Washington County Attorney's Office working with the um, East Metro Sex Trafficking Task Force. And I first started in January of 2016 in this position. And basically I was tasked with going on the commercial sex websites um, and kind of scrolling through every single website, kind of see what numbers we were dealing with, how many ads were being posted. And then I would try to ID the victim and then see if I could ID a trafficker while going through the different ads. Um, and we didn't have any like numbers out there and we wanted to kind of see what we were dealing with, with how many ads were posted in our area. So in 2016, I went through Backpage.com just in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota, just to see how many ads that there were. So I wanted to see, we thought maybe there would be a few hundred a month. Um, so we, it would be easy for me to go through every single ad, take information from there, kind of just put them in a database that we were going through and just see what we were dealing with. And um, just in 2016 alone, just on one of the websites, there was over 74,000 ads that I went through in 2016. And then in 2017, we wanted to see if the number would decrease or increase because they ended up shutting down the escort section on backpage.com. Um, so a lot of people thought that trafficking was going away on that website. Um, so we just wanted to see, we knew that it was gonna keep going. They were just gonna move it to a different spot. So they ended up moving it to like the massage section. So we went through 2017 and the number was over 99,000 ads that I went through in 2017. And then in 2018, Backpage shut down, but there's tons of other websites that we um, scroll through every single day to look through for the different ads. So we're able to recover the female or male to, um, for victim and then arrest the trafficker. So basically what I do is go through all the ads. If I can ID the information, I have um, a tip that I put together with all the information I can find through open source um, social media, things like that. I will put as much information as I can in the tip and then I will send that off to the law enforcement so they're able to do their investigation, set up like undercover communication and do an operation to just kind of go from there. And then I help out anyway besides that when we get like cell phones back and things like that, if I can help out that way. So that's basically what I do. I don't think calling what you do basic is, is the right way to put it. I, you know, I've talked to many people over the years about um, the type of work that you do and how, how difficult it is to, um, to have that in front of you on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, just, I'm very thankful for the work that you're doing and, and, and appreciate that. Um, I would invite all of our panelists to come back on and we'll start with a few questions. Um, that are coming in, and please do keep your questions coming in. Um, you know, one thing I heard both Agnes and Paul bring this up, but I think they both brought up a really good point um, in that, 
you know, we think about, um, oftentimes when people think about trafficking, they think about, about sex trafficking and how trafficking is based on, I mean, it is, there are many more tenets of the definition of, of trafficking. So, you know, thinking about that, just even adding that to the, to the complicated nature of this problem that you are really looking at um, many different ways that people are being victimized. And the fact that, um, Paul, I think it was you that said that um, oftentimes the victims don't even, don't even look at themselves as victims. They, um, and uh, particularly when you're talking about, about sex trafficking and oftentimes sex trafficking with, with minors, um, that they've really been groomed into thinking that this is a boyfriend situation or someone that they love and that they're there that this is their their free choice in doing this so you know i just think that that is that's far more it, it that just adds so much more complications to it than than we think um so a uh, couple of questions um that we have that again i mean like most of the attention is given to sex trafficking but you know, can any of you speak to the fact of how much we have three people from Minnesota and then we have Agnes coming from from Hungary. So bringing in the, 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 the perspective from from Europe, but thinking about Minnesota, this is a question that's specifically about Minnesota. How much labor trafficking do you feel exists in Minnesota and how can it be identified and pr prosecuted more frequently. Anyone want to jump in on that? I can talk about the prosecution and uh, Paul or Amy can talk about on the investigation side and uh, you know some of uh, that. What I know on labor trafficking, uh, Paul brought me a case and I'll have him kind of talk a little bit about it. I know he mentioned it uh, very briefly, uh, but it was, it was one of the, it was the first labor trafficking prosecution in the state. And this is laws that have been on the books uh, for decades. And part of the problem with labor trafficking is number one, it's completely underreported. Uh, and so the victims, just like human trafficking, they're out there, but we're able to identify them because they found their avenue and their avenue now is online. And so we're able to infiltrate that market in a proactive way. Uh, difference with labor trafficking is that um, what's happening on the fact, what's happening in the factories, what's happening in the construction sector, what's happening in the hospitality industry, uh, we're not able to see that. And oftentimes it takes something like an accident happening uh, in the case that we worked on that uh, Paul was a lead detective on. Um, it took, you know, somebody escaping their trafficker uh, uh, for us to notice it. Uh, but that's one of the biggest issues, I think, with uh, the prosecution side is that um, you know, it's not there, so we don't see it. The other issue is that when we do get it, we have a law that is extremely convoluted. Um, just to understand the definition of debt bondage, for instance, under our statute, which mirrors the federal statute, uh, you have to take a map out and like build a rocket ship. I mean, it's really, really difficult. It's easy to understand forced labor. Uh, it's easy to understand uh, a provision for, uh, you know, taking somebody's organ, because that's also uh, like a bodily organ, that's also something that's in our statute. Uh, but the common one is that debt bondage. And that's really difficult, uh, not only for prosecutors to understand, uh, but eventually for us trying to convince a jury that somebody's guilty of trafficking. And so we're working on that um, on the prosecution side uh, and also just on um, you know the legislative side about different ways that we can perhaps either amend the statute legislatively uh, uh, and also on the awareness side, uh, you know, there's been some really good work in human trafficking on the sex trafficking side uh, in the past four or five years. Uh, I think there needs to be more awareness on the labor trafficking side too, then Paul and their group of investigators uh, can really do some good work. But that's at least on the, on the prosecution side, that's what I see as uh, a couple obstacles that are in its way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't know if Agnes, if you can jump in and, and, and Imran, you just touched on this, but even just how you define somebody who has been labor trafficked. And if somebody would like to, Agnes or, or Iman could explain to the audience what debt bondage even is. So um, it's different uh, in, in, in Eastern Europe and Western Europe. For example, in Austria, if someone is um, 
uh, hired for a job uh, for for four hours and the person is working for eight hours for the same money then uh, it means that this is labor exploitation and uh, but in Hungary we have a lot of that so I could say that um, in Eastern Europe we could say that this is half of the nation um, but um, so in Hungary, we rather talk about, or in Eastern Europe, we rather talk about uh, forced labor uh, when someone is uh, uh, forced to work and, um, and perhaps taken to abroad to Western European countries, very popular is Germany and England and um, Switzerland and uh, all other places. And, um, and the people are taken there and um, Basically, they are uh, living in uh, in some kind of very bad conditions in a mass uh, <clears throat> accommodation, and uh, they don't really receive any money for their work. Mm -hmm. And there is always a subcontractor who is a Hungarian as well, or whatever nation is uh, the the victim is from. So uh, so they are basically uh, not connected to those who are. Uh, who are the, the contractors, because they always just connected to uh, someone who's also Hungarian or also Czech or also Slovakian. And, um, and uh, so basically there are always uh, the traffickers and the victims are always from the same country um, as, as an example from Hungary or Eastern Europe. And um, <clears throat> so it's not really common that, uh, that someone would uh, go uh, to abroad and would be a victim uh, of a local trafficker. Mm -hmm. It can happen, but it's not the typical case. And um, also we talk about the domestic servitude, which means uh, we also call it forced labor because they forced to work and uh, they're uh, forced, uh, meaning they're also beaten and abused uh, for doing the, whatever is their tasks. And um, in agriculture or, uh, or, or whatever kind of work, and, um, and they don't receive money. They only receive food, uh, very little food and uh, accommodation. And it, uh, it especially happens at uh, private families and uh, just to have just an estimation for you that in Hungary, um, we had a, um, a kind of village or a small town uh, habited by 16,000 people. And uh, we counted uh, 150 uh, victims who are uh, victims of domestic servitude. And we haven't counted those who are victims of uh, sexual exploitation. So this is an example that you can imagine that how uh, often we have these all around in the country and all the post-communist countries, this is very common. And sometimes these families go to abroad and they're, uh, they, they are a subcontractor, for example, mm -hmm. and they make those uh, who work, for example, in a factory they also make them to be uh, their slave at their household as well. So, uh, and sometimes uh, those uh, who are victims of domestic servitude, sometimes they are also uh, victims of uh, sexual, sexual exploitation as well. So it could be a man or could be a woman as well. Yeah, it's just such an incredibly, and again, I mean, just talking about the, com the complicated nature of the problem. Um, you know, we're talking about partnerships and how important it is for departments to be working together. We have people that are working in um, police, in investigation, in, um, in government, in nonprofits. Can each of you just touch on um, how have the types of partnerships that you have, I mean, obviously Amy and Paul and Imran work together. Um, Agnes, I'm sure working with the shelters and you talked about, um, you know, working on uh, pushing through legislation to change, to change laws. Can you, each of you just kind of talk about like what types of partnerships, I mean, if you're talking about government, um, 
in law enforcement, working with nonprofits. Amy, Paul, and Imran, I didn't hear you talk about that at all in any, any local nonprofits that you may, you may partner with. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about that, about the partnerships that you have and, and how that really supports your work or, or what partnerships you'd like to have? Yeah, I mean, for the, the law enforcement side, you know, we've developed, you know, partnerships with some of the different uh, non-government advocate groups, you know, here in the metro, uh, as well as some of the shelters. So when we encounter somebody that is in need, um, you know, and it's sad to say, but there's a lot of people that we will, you know, interact with. Not, not everybody that's out there doing commercial sex is being trafficked. Uh, some people are, are just purely independent, um, you know, and when we deal with these situations, sometimes we end up finding the people that are, we call it survival sex. So they're, you know, they're, they're, they are selling themselves, they're, you know, doing the act of prostitution, you know, whether it be in a hotel or wherever, but a lot of times it's just simply to make enough money to have a place to stay, um, you know, and, and they're kind of stuck. They don't know really what else to do to generate money and they end up in this environment, um, you know, so we try to, you know, have those partnerships in place, which we've, we've, we've already established, you know, so that if we do interact with somebody that, that that's their situation, we can, um, you know, at least offer those, you know, and, and say, look, but here's, you may not want to tell everything to me because I'm, you know, a police officer and people don't always like to tell their life stories to the police. Um, but, you know, here's an advocate, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, more trained in that side of it to, you know, kind of help work people through, you know, look at different programs that can maybe help them get into, uh, and then housing, you know, for emergency housing placement. Um, you know, so if we can, you know, as law enforcement, help connect a person that is in a really bad situation into a, a place where they, you know, have those basic needs met with food and shelter, um, you know, a, a safe place to sleep, you know, that's sometimes a start. So, you know, we've, we've worked on those for, you know, the last several years, building those relationships up, um, you know, and, and we do have some partnerships with different shelters through the Metro and some of the different uh, NGO groups for advocates, you know, and, and we're very lucky that, you know, those uh, individuals that work for those advocate groups are willing to come out. Um, sometimes if we have a planned operation, we'll, we'll let them know ahead of time. And sometimes they'll just come right with us, um, you know, where they're there just right away, you know, and, and we'll have our conversation uh, from the law enforcement side to see what the situation is. Uh, and then sometimes we'll step out and we'll walk away and we'll let that advocate, you know, without us there, you know, have a, maybe a more honest conversation with what, what can they do to help this person get out of this situation? Um, you know, our, our approach for you know, when we do these cases is, is at least an initial assumption that, that nobody really wants to, no, nobody grows up wanting to, to do commercial sex. That's not a, a childhood dream of anybody. Um, there are different circumstances as to why people end up in that line of work, in those environments and in those situations. Um, you know, but our at least initial approach when we uh, encounter any of these individuals is, is to make at least an initial assumption that, that they're potentially a victim of, of trafficking. You know, so we kind of start there. Um, not that at some point people aren't held accountable for those acts if they're, they're not being trafficked, but if, if somebody's obviously being trafficked, um, you know, they're, they're, there is not charges that we're gonna be looking to pursue. So, because that's always looming though, it's nice that we can have those advocates on site where I as the police can step out, I can walk away, and then, you know, some maybe more honest conversations can happen and try to get a person plugged into where they need to be. That's, I think that's a really good point um, that nobody, nobody has this in their list of career paths that they're, that they're looking to go into. And so really taking that approach with that. Um, we, we have a lot of questions that are coming through on here. So um, if anyone else wants to tie some of that, that question into their other answers. But, um, you know, I'd like to ask a couple of things for, for everybody, I guess, within this. Um, in terms of, Agnes, you talked, oh no, I'm just, I'm, yes, it was Agnes that I think mentioned talked about going into, or Amy, oh gosh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on this now. 
it was mentioned that going in and talking to people in the foster care systems, it was Agnes that was talking about this and really educating people. So when you're thinking about um, stopping the demand, I mean, like, what is what is happening in that regard? Um, because this is something that, you know, Imran, you, you mentioned talking about that there are international cases here. So there are people that are coming in from other countries. Um, so the demand is is domestic, but the source is international. Um, Amy, you talked about that also. And Agnes, you talked about the fact that there are people from Hungary being being trafficked into Western European countries. So there is this, there's this localized demand and international demand and international and domestic victims. So can you talk a little bit about that, about what, what, what's happening of, on the stopping of the demand side? So, um, you mean, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, early on when we started doing this, we knew that if you take the demand piece away or you curtail the demand, uh, you're going to have a reduction in what the supply is. Uh, it's, uh, you know, human trafficking, commercial sex uh, is like the any other economic thing. It's a supply demand. Uh, and so very, very early on, we started We're the first ones in the state to do um, underage prostitution stings. Uh, where, uh, you know, Paul uh, is an uh, undercover detective, uh, for instance, and he would uh, communicate, uh, we, Amy would post an ad, uh, not of herself, of uh, someone else, and then we would uh, figure out what the demand is, and people would text, and then they would end up, uh, if they showed up uh, to be arrested, and we, I can tell you, we, I mean, I prosecuted hundreds and hundreds of those people, um, as much as I would love to say that it's made an impact, I don't know if it has. Um, I think uh, it's uh, continuing to do those sorts of operations. Um, COVID has definitely uh, limited and curtailed us uh, for the last several months of doing those sorts of operations, but we've done a lot of those. Uh, and we've realized that that demand, uh, it's strong, it's there. Uh, and what do we do about it? Um, and one of the things that we're doing in Washington County is that, uh, you know, I, I, I can't prosecute my way out of the problem. I can prosecute somebody for, uh, in our statute of prostitution, uh, but is that really going to change their mindset? Uh, and I don't think it is. And uh, we can look at anecdotal evidence of people that have been convicted of prostitution multiple, time, multiple times on the patron side. Uh, they'll do it again because the consequence uh, really isn't uh, significant. And so myself, Amy, uh, and a few other people, we actually uh, testified uh, at our legislature uh, a few years ago on increasing some of the demand uh, for, uh, or sorry, increasing some of the penalties uh, and making it an enhanceable crime, uh, where if you do it once, it may be a misdemeanor, you do it again, it may be uh, opt, and then you do it again, and it potentially could be a felony. Um, again, not wanting to prosecute our way out of it, but trying to find a solution, because unless we do that, um, we're going to continue to see not only the domestic uh, supply increase, that demand for the supply, uh, but, um, and I think one of Paul's big expertise uh, is really on that international side. It's the international uh, demand for that supply uh, that's prolific in Minnesota, um, and that demand uh, is there, uh, and it's there on a significant daily basis, you know, as we speak. Uh, it's being run all over the state. Uh, so those are some things that we've worked on. Absolutely. And I'd like to, you know, segue into that and maybe ask Amy and Agnes to both speak to this um, to get the get the two different perspectives. But in thinking about like, or not thinking about how our traffickers getting their victims, how are they accessing them? Um, you know, I know in India and Cambodia how that's happening and I have quite a bit of domestic knowledge. Uh, but I'd like both of you to speak to that or each of you to speak to that. So I know like in Minnesota and what we see around here, a lot of people think could be just from what they see online and th stuff that people are being kidnapped and forced into it. And a lot of the ones that we see are more either family members or an older boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse that gets them into it. So they basically like the victim is really vulnerable and they just feel down about themselves and the trafficker will show them love and just spoil them and do all that kind of stuff and then start posting them up on ads. That's what we've seen a lot in this area. So they're usually someone that they know and someone that they trust and someone that has shown them love and they think that that's what it is. 
Okay, so uh, one thing I would like to say is also uh, we have the, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so we have um, similar kind of recruitment uh, systems like this lover boy system and uh, and such uh, what she just said and uh, but but also we have this experience that um, those who had um, physical or sexual abuse under the age of 12 they are more likely to uh, become a victim of uh, exploitation mainly sexual sexual exploitation but uh, but all those who are others and uh, becoming a victim they also have this background and also the problem is that um, that there is the a society uh, which is which is still blaming the victim and they don't have so we we, we cannot stop doing awareness raising and uh, educate society uh, what is the background of these people uh, and they are victims and how this whole uh, thing happens and the stories of the victims because the society is cruel and really um, blaming the victims. So I, I don't think that there are much differences in between the recruitment system like in, in the US or in Hungary or in other places because this is about uh, looking for love looking for uh, just to be attached to someone just to have some family to have some kind of um, cherishment and uh, and also there is economical uh, reason uh, looking for a better life and looking for um, just a better way of living to send money back home and just to you know to show that um, or to dream about uh, uh, a better way of life, and uh, people always think that this is somewhere somewhere in uh, in the Western uh, side of the world that where they can live better. I would completely concur with that, Agnes. That the the means of um, of uh, traffickers getting their victims is there are definitely some commonalities around the globe and they are just that i mean looking at affection and and economics and a lot of it has to do with economic um economic access and particularly for women around the world and, and for men too in terms of labor trafficking the idea of people being groomed to go into it uh the mention of it often happening within families that it is uh that it is a a family member that is trafficking another family member um, that's 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 quite common um, particularly in the groups of women and girls that we work with in India um, and you know one of the reasons that we do the work that we do is that we are a workforce development agency we educate people we educate the women and give them job skills and place them in jobs find them jobs that give them those economic opportunities to to keep themselves from being victims but it is something that is um, it, it is not an instantaneous decision or something that happened. I mean, Agnes, you, you mentioned um, children being victims and the runaways, the foster care system. You know, there are, there are so many um, segments of population, particularly when you're talking about underage boys and girls that give, give them far more heightened risk factors to draw them into, um, into the, the, the highlights or the, the headlights, I guess I say, of, of a trafficker. Um, so it is, it is many different ways that you need to look at it, but some great commonalities as we're looking around, around the world. Um, one more thing I would like to add, that this is the, the generations repeating themselves. So the parents are also coming from uh, dysfunctional families and uh, coming from foster care and uh, so not only the children so we we really have this kind of uh, goal that we have to educate the families together we have to educate the parents uh, what, about sexuality and about uh, about uh, how to uh, love their kids because uh, they are just mixed uh, sexuality and love and um, and this is really just messed up in these families that uh, 
that you know that partnership is not with the parents and not with the relatives um, physical partnership for example so this is um, I think and also an important thing in the third uh, world countries also not only in the post-communist countries yes that is very very true um, I'm curious uh, I'm just trying to think who might be able to speak to this best. Uh, maybe Paul, I'll ask you, um, what, what tools, or, or Amy also in the work that you do with being online, what tools, both um, technology and otherwise, have you found most impactful in your work against human trafficking? That's tough. Um, <clears throat> I didn't mean to ask a tough question. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of everything. I mean, we when we go through and and you know when we we do our cases, um, I don't want to give away all our law enforcement trade secrets, um, but we do have resources that help us you know track phone locations. You know, we we in my cases, you know, and I, I I've done investigations for a very long time. I've never written as many search warrants as I as I write with these cases. Um, you know, I, I have a case that I wrapped up not that long ago that, you know, by the time it was done, it was uh, north of 50 legal processes with search warrants and and court orders and stuff like that that were through the case. You know, so we you know we write these these legal demands to you know obtain information from you know different. Uh, you know, whether it's social media, Google accounts, uh, cell phone records you know, all that type of stuff that, that is out there, that anything that you do online, any communication that you have, any uh, interface you have with a piece of technology, whether it's a cell phone or a computer is gonna leave a footprint. Uh, I think most people know that. And, and what we do is, um, you know, we, we go after what that footprint is and, and what picture does that footprint paint? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, social media stuff, uh, whether it is, um, you know, those phone records and, and what cell phone towers is the phone, you know, pinging off of, does that show associations between when person A and person B were together doing this act or whatever, um, you know, so it's, it's really, if you, if you think of technology and, and how uh, great it's been to, you know, the, the ease of access to information, um, you know, that information also leads to the footprint that you know, we as law enforcement are, are able to you know, go after to, to build these cases up and, and to you know, hold these people accountable for it. Um, I do wanna chime in one more thing with, with your last topic, um, you know, that, that, that boyfriend relationship is one of the most prevalent ones, 100%. What was missed is the drug dealer relationship and we see that a lot. Um, so what we see there is, is you have your you know, especially with the heroin epidemic that's kind of resurfaced, um, you know, the, the kids that are experimenting with the pills that they find in mom and dad's medicine cabinet that didn't get thrown away or disposed of properly, you know, turns into that addiction, supply and demand. Uh, turns out heroin's easier to get and cheaper to get than some of the pills are. And then once that uh, individual has suffered all the way down, kind of hit those low points uh, where maybe they're kicked out of the house, they are uh, in a sense, homeless, you know, maybe they've lost their job, uh, things have gone downhill, those drug dealers can sometimes shift into that trafficker role. And that it's all about control. Uh, and, and those drug dealers, we see it uh, where they will hold just, I'll give you just enough of this drug so that you don't get drunk, you know, dope sick. Um, if you don't do what I want, then you're going to be dope sick. And, and it's that control through the drug. You can't buy from anybody but me if you do. Uh, buy from someone else, then there's going to be a physical assault that goes with it. Um, you know, so there's that element of the control that we do see a lot as well. Sorry, I backtracked on you. No, that's that's also important important to consider. Um, and unfortunately, we're coming to the close of our, our Q and A. But I I will ask um, Amy. I'll ask you to jump in. So I feel because I feel like we can only have one person answer this question. But you know, importantly, what can what can citizens do? What can what can the people that are that are listening do to volunteer or engage to help end human trafficking? So we get that question a lot when we do trainings. Um, we just kind of we do a lot of trainings out in the community as much as we can just to make people more aware because people don't realize what's actually happening until 
they hear it from a training or they don't realize it's happening around them. So just watching for certain things, like if someone's acting weird or if someone has an older boyfriend that has all the money and all that stuff and they think that there's something wrong, it's almost like we always tell people if you have a gut feeling with something, you can call and just say something because if you don't, something might end up going wrong. So we have a um, thing that we are doing where it's speakuptheycant.org. And it's a website that just has information. And there's also a lot of information on um, polarisproject.org. Yes. Really good website. That is a great website with a bunch of information, um, a hotline for people to call if they have any information on something. Just things like that. Just getting it out there, making people more aware is one of the main things. Yeah, Polaris is a great, great organization to mention. They run the National Trafficking Hotline and do some incredible research work also. So definitely um, a resource to look at, um, you know, and if you want to know any more about like international trafficking or in particularly in East Asia, because that is where a large percentage of trafficking victims are, you can look at the Nomi Network website, which is nominetwork.org. Um, IJM is another organization that can be can be looked at for for information. But I feel like we could just keep talking and talking and talking. You guys all have such amazing depth of information and experience. And I hope the audience has, has heard something that really, really resonates with them and that they will reach out to, to me, to any of our panelists, to Global Minnesota to learn more about, about the fight of, against human trafficking. Um, it's, it really is going to take absolutely everybody that is, is here today and beyond to end this. So we just really like to thank each of you, Imran, Amy, Paul, Agnes, thank you so much for your time and for your work. It, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I, I sit on the fundraising side and yes, I engage with the women when I'm in Cambodia or in India and, and seeing the way they live is really, really tough. But, but you guys are there. I'm, front lines and and just thank you from the bottom of my heart you know for taking your time today but also for the work the work that you do so and thank you everybody for put your putting your questions in i wish we had been able to get to all of them um so again don't hesitate to reach out and and ask questions um individually also but um i will just sign off for now and, and turn things over to mark to to wrap things up but thank you all for being here today Thank you so much, Kelly, and to all our panelists. And all of you underline the real message of today is that it is about partnership. It takes all of us. It takes a village. It takes a global village. So thank you again. And for all who tuned in today, um, you have contacts. You can make contact with different individuals here uh, and on the Global Minnesota webpage. Again, uh, Carlson Family Foundation was really important. And all of you who are members are really important to making this kind of programming possible to make it available free on a global basis. So thank you again. There are three more uh, Public events, educational events coming up tomorrow, uh, 10 to 11 in the morning. There's a book club discussion about Thomas Friedman's book. Thank you for being late. Some of you know of him as a columnist from the New York Times from St. Louis Park. Uh, on the 28th at 6 p.m., one of our global conversation on U.S.-Russia relations, uh, returning guest Jill Doherty is one of the most amazing um, analyst and uh, kind of person with an overview and a long historical view. So uh, that's another great one to tune in for. Uh, again, these end up on our YouTube page, so you can see them again, send them around to your friends and family, or if you miss them, you can catch them on the YouTube channel. Then finally, on October 30th, we're looking at uh, a noon program. We're looking at the new uh, African free trade area. It's a new uh, continental-wide free trade area. And that is a very important policy change that has impacts. Many of the new diaspora communities in Minnesota are connected directly to countries in Africa where they came from or their families. But we're seeing that there's high interest in how can we be partnering in various ways with our colleagues and friends and others on the other side of the planet. And how does this change in the free trade area, the continental free trade area, 
create new opportunities for Minnesotans and new opportunities for Africa. So again, thank you to all who tuned in. Thank you to Carolina and Tim who helped put this together and Olaf, the team behind. And thank you to Kelly and all of our panelists for bringing us into a new conversation, showing us by your actions and your stories, your humanity, your passion, your devotion to partnerships. And we look forward to the next opportunity to, to continue this conversation. Good day, everybody.